Hey everybody, Todd Mitchell here. Glad you're back with us once again. Our friend John Scheiber is going to join up in just a moment. Tonight we're talking about GDC's State of the Game Industry Survey results for the year. We're also going to talk about our first podcast giveaway, thanks to our friend Morgan Ramsey, who's a best-selling author in the game dev category. And we're also going to talk about a little mystery I solved about some gaming memorabilia I received as a gift. So a lot of fun stuff on this episode of the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. into the great pumpkin yeah it's sitting here and it's got a bunch of hardware supplies in it okay i'm taking that to the garage <laughs> what what a great way to <laughs> store and organize your technical stuff <laughs> i don't know why i've had this filled with screws and, <laughs> and now a man who drinks from a mason jar and works from a pumpkin <laughs> <laughs> well well here we are I love it. <laughs> I didn't see it there. Mm-hmm. Some, some part of my brain probably did. It was like Mason Jar, Mason Jar, Mason smelled it, probably. <laughs> I do the thing where I like put my arm out in front of the people next to me. The Mason Jar is here. The Mason Jar. So how are you doing? Man, tired. But um, we're getting through this period of time at work. Where Are we recording? Are we live? Yeah, we're, yeah. Okay. Cool. I just wanted to didn't know if we were recording or not. We're live enough. Yeah. We're getting over this period of time at work where year end is just historically busy. And then I'm kind of trying to clean up my schedule a little bit. We did some I did some pretty extensive projects around here. We were really due, honestly, man. Just God's honest truth. We were really due for a good um like deep cleaning. We just had we started to realize we had too much stuff. Yeah. So we spent a great deal of time. There's several evenings, man. It took a little while, like going through stuff and really knowing what you have versus, you know, just maintaining pseudo order. Uh, We were in a mode where it had just been, I had too many close. Uh, There was too many extra random boxes of, uh, yeah, we'll we'll look at these DVDs later, you know, (laughs) and it, it got to a tipping point. So I did some family home projects. In the off time from this, and then I had to take a break from video games for a little bit just to kind of prioritize the dad life. I feel myself getting back on track, though, and finishing up projects out in the garage like I installed that little home gym setup you've probably been seeing floating around on Soch. So nice, yeah. I love that. It's about it, man. On my my physical training, I've been focusing a lot on – I'll have to send you some stuff that I find wildly fascinating. A guy named Chuck Sipes. He was a Mr. Universe or Mr. America, one or the other, whatever they did in the 60s. Yeah, one one of those. (laughs) Whatever it was. And he has this this training method where you overload with a weight you can't move on, like, let's say, bench press. Other than unracking it, you just hold it Mm -hmm. for, like, five seconds. And he thought it, like, conditioned your tendons. Well, he was wrong. It didn't do anything like that. What it actually did was there's this thing your wife – I'm sure knows what it is. The acronym for it is GTO, but I don't remember what it is, but it's a small organ that's like attached to each muscle and it controls this amount of overload that your muscle can handle. So long story short is, is that he was unknowingly training that component of his own body. And I was like, well, 
Oh. I'm going to start trying to figure this out. So I've been outside playing with that. But uh, I'm anxious to get back into the game world, man. Uh, there is some, <laughs> like, we, I mean, just our private conversations. Yeah, they've been intense, yeah. It, it's so what is can you can you can you rein us in what's happening man is the world is seriously on fire or <laughs> well first i have a couple of follow-up questions one is do you have some kind of heater out there for like the wife and the daughter and yeah you got to have something out there it's freezing yes oh yeah i've got a 1500 <laughs> watt uh heater that does pretty good Very on a day good. like today though they did not come outside with me <laughs> i understand completely we were we were doing that kind of thing for a while when i was set up for uh boxing training out in my garage over I at the old that. house yeah we would we would do stuff uh my brother-in-law would come out and we would we would just brave it because a few minutes in you you have no idea what temperature it is you're overheated but yeah that's really a great way to to use that space especially if you can still park a car in there once in a while, that kind of thing. But it's, Oh yeah, absolutely. What you've done in there is, is very impressive and very inspiring. Let me ask you Good. this about the organizational side. Yeah. Is any of this based on this, uh, this Marie, what's her name? Who's all, all the rage on Netflix right now telling people to throw out all their stuff. No. And it was crazy coincidental because my coworker, Zach was like, man, are you, have you seen this Marie Kondo? And yeah. I was thinking, my wife has a condo? And it's like, <laughs> I was genuinely like, what is he talking about? And then, like, he showed me, and I was like, oh, I, I didn't really, huh. And, uh, I, like, I kind of glossed over it. But no, it is not. It, I just, I guess I felt that Netflix energy in the world. <laughs> it's hard to avoid, yeah. In the ether. Yeah. And, like, it snapped. It was around New Year's, and I just I just went for it, man, and, and did a deep organize. Well, that's that's good, and I'm I'm glad it wasn't just some some wild craze for you. But uh, yeah, man, we've been we've been talking games. I've been playing a few things. I've been playing. I found out that Path of Exile, which we talked about like many yes. episodes back, which is sort of a Diablo competitor, but it's free to play, which is nice. That is available on the Xbox One. Plays like a dream. Great controller support. I've been going nuts on that. On the few nights that I have time at the end of the day. When my kid goes to sleep, he he can't fall asleep right now unless I'm in the room. So then I get tired, you know, and it's a big mess. But dude, that's brutal. That's real. That's tough, tough man. Yeah, little little challenges in parenting. Yes, but uh, that's been really cool, man. What else have I been playing? I I almost got a little bit sick of Forza Horizon Four. And I've been playing some of the Xbox games with gold, but like I've been, I've been able to spend some time with it here and there. So good, good. I'm looking up Path of Exile right there. It is with the Xbox. I might have to seriously give this a spin on the. To me, it seems like it would be really well translated to console. It's yeah, it is. Uh, I said the same thing about Doom Three, which was you can just get on there. The controller support's awesome, and you could just get lost in it. Uh, Path of Exile is the same way. It's a pretty well done game. Yeah, I had it downloaded for a minute on Steam and never did open it, sadly. But, um, I mean, it looks just like Diablo to me. So I don't think people should be playing it just to spite Blizzard. I don't think that's the right approach. <laughs> but, uh, for whatever reason, it's a cool game. The developers should be rewarded for that. You know, people should check that out. Does it have in-game purchases? I assume there's some kind of market. There are microtransactions of some kind. Uh, they've not really even crossed my path yet. So I'm looking right here. Actually, it, they they have it on their they have it on their site. 
you see something about it when you pause. There's a thing that literally says microtransactions, and uh, if you don't hit that, I guess you don't see them. Yeah, okay. So they sell stash tabs, whatever that is. Bundles. Yeah, that's like storage for loot. Okay. They sell armor sense. sets, characters, guild stuff, pets. This is kind of a hideout. You can buy hideouts on here. This is pretty cool. Huh. That's more than I realized. Yeah, this is kind of neat. So you can get... Let me tell you about this hideout here real quick. This is intriguing. Oh, no. It's decorations for your hideout. Okay. Well, if you're into okay. that. <laughs> yeah. If you want to play dolls, that's what uh, yeah. that's what my friend Casey calls it. And I, I stole his, I stole his uh, unique catchphrase there, but he'd be like, hold on. No, no, no. Don't launch. I'm playing dolls. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I started playing is... Uh, Hold your hold on to your butts. I finally started playing Just Cause Three. Oh wow! I really like that game. Like I'm, I'm not delivering anything groundbreaking here. That's a great game, dude. It, like I, I remember when I was playing it, and I, and I did a little mock review for you to look at, and because uh, that game grabbed me for a little while too. It is like Grand Theft Auto with zero repercussions. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they can try as much as they want, but, like, you can overcome anything from the word go. I, yeah. But I really, it, it's such a fun, like, big sandbox. It's really neat. Yeah, if you take, if you try to take it seriously, it's just not going to be a game that's going to satisfy any kind of deep story elements that you might be looking for. But if you just want to plug something in, have a couple of objectives so you feel like you're unlocking stuff or something like that, and, and just go nuts, yeah. yeah. I get, but I heard uh, I've heard mixed to bad things about the fourth one, so I'm gonna wait till it goes on a deep sale before I give it a spin. Well, not not too far off of that type of gameplay is uh, Crackdown Three's coming up. Oh yeah, it's gonna have Terry Crews in it, basically, right? And it's gonna be uh, effectively free if you have the Xbox Game Pass. So. Oh, we will be. I will be all over that. Yeah, I have that. So yes, yeah. Crackdown three. Oh, is that like middle of February? It's coming right up. Oh, good. This yeah. might be a great thing for me to really want to sink my teeth into. Oh, I'm stoked. Thank you for reminding me about this. I am stoked. Get excited. That game has been a lot like many years in the making. They've been working on that for a long, long time. Oh, you can pre-install it right now. I, I don't know for sure that that'll translate to amazing gameplay or anything, but it's been, I think it's been handled with great care. That's the best I can say. Now, on the Xbox Gold, can you download the games that, that are playing everywhere? I don't know. I've not tried that yet. So can I Can I download basically to my PC? I don't know. If it's a Play Anywhere game and it'll be part of the Game Pass, then you will be able to download it on your PC. Yes. Forza Horizon 4 is an example of that, which I have played on That's both. right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Guess why I was able to get that. Okay, okay. And That's I know right. this is like, why would you ever, why would it work this way? But I really wish I could get that to come up on the Steam link somehow. And then I could be hanging out upstairs, uh, just playing through the TV or whatever, you know. Just, just go through Steam big picture mode and I can pull it right up. Does the Xbox not do that? Like a screen share almost? It will do that on a Windows device. If I, Technically, if I wanted to, I think I could put my laptop hooked up to the TV and mm. 
Bluetooth control it. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's almost almost worth just moving the Xbox. <laughs> yeah, there's too there's too much diddle daddling in that to get that to work. Yeah, I'm too old for that. When I was a kid, it was like, yeah, take the Nintendo outside, plug it into a car battery, and you guys go nuts. <laughs> now it's Dude, like, real. can we move the Xbox upstairs? No, are you kidding me? It's 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 so funny. It's it, it, totally for real, man. That is real life. Maybe it's just fatherhood, like that fatherhood switch flips and n- no moving electronics, please. Exactly, man. I'm still I'm still caught here. You brought up Crackdown, and I'm looking at it still. I need to close this window, or I'm gonna I'm gonna lose my train of thought. <laughs> I've always been a big fan of that series, and it's been around a long, long time now. Yeah, I was gonna say that's an early 2000s game, isn't it? Yeah. That wasn't too long after which GTA San Andreas was it around that time frame? I think they were probably oh. close. Yeah. Okay, that sounds about familiar. Oh, I noticed my favorite game is on uh, Game Pass. There, Battle Player Unknown Battleground. Ooh, I really wanted to play uh, PUBG. Just make fun of PUBG again. I really <laughs> wanted to play this game here. Let me let me look at this. Uh, I'm glad I, I'm glad you mentioned this, and I forgot that I had it. Oh, we happy few. We happy fuse on that. Uh, Hellblade. That looked cool to me. I don't know about that one. You play like a a, a female Viking warrior or, or some kind of Celtic warrior like that, and you go to search for your lover body and the or spirit in the afterlife, and it's like a game. Oh that's yeah, yeah. Supposed to be like PTSD and. I, I, if this is the one I'm thinking about, and it was the article I remember reading, it's like simulates like going insane or something and yeah it's like really it's really intense through post-traumatic stress syndrome like it tries to like ooh, mortal kombat axes on this dog uh yeah <laughs> i know that's your to, jam oh that's gonna be cool Ooh, there's mxgp3 yeah those games are cool interesting okay. okay i have a i have a ton of fun with game pass i really do because i'm the kind of person who like, you, know, you don't hear me bag on a lot of games. Like, I really appreciate a wide variety of gameplay, and I've got something to do all the time. Yeah. No, you are you are like that. You jump around. Human Fall Flat, have you played that with Will yet or anything? I, I did finally play that alone, and I had a lot of fun. Yeah, it would be a good game to try to get uh, a kid to He would crack with. up, dude. He would never stop laughing at that game. Oh, it's so funny. Kara was watching me play it one time with my buddy Matt. It's pretty entertaining. The, the falling between levels and stuff is just hilarious. I know. I'm not going to tell you where or when, but there's a little secret little dev things. Like if you get to areas, they did little. It's not so like, oh, but um, it's kind of neat. They like, you know, like, how'd you get here, dickhead? Like, like <laughs> that, you know, like, how did you manage to get here? And, and it p- pokes fun at that. It's pretty good. I think I have found one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I like that where it's like uh they kind of I, I've always liked that's one of the things I really liked about like Doom and Wolfenstein and stuff like that or the secrets, man. Like, And oh, yeah. sometimes the secret was just like a joke, but you still were so happy that you got the secret and uh, and found those little hidden things. It's different to me. For some reason, this modern era of gaming hasn't pulled off that that same vibe from finding the secrets. I don't know if it's just me showing my age or something like that, but it doesn't feel the same. Like, when you found a secret in an old school game, it was like, does anyone else know about this? Right. And then, now it's like part of your mini-map where it's like, secrets found. And you're like, come on, I didn't even want to know there was a secret. <laughs> yeah, there there are two elements to that, and both of them are products of time. But 
One is, you know, there wasn't always this internet and this giant network of people like sharing information. And so we relied on things like gaming magazines to tell us about stuff like this and the guy at Blockbuster. And it was a huge deal. And we would get wrong information all the time and be convinced that, you know, oh, Michael Jordan's an NBA jam and, you know, you can get Shaq riding a bull coming out of the <laughs> half court. Um, and then the other thing is, like, the games aren't as hard to make anymore. And so now, like, when even as late as the N64, when you played Rush 2 and you found the skate park thing and you got to ride your cars off the ramps and oh, stuff, you were like, man, that I was so awesome. I know, right? It was like, I can't believe they spent the time and got to do this and it made it through to release and it's in the game. And, like, we just spent days and days on this stuff. And now it's not really any big thing. It's like, if you see that in Forza, that's like, well, yeah, there's a skate park and, yeah, there's ramps you can ride off of. Who, who cares? Yeah, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. And that's our timely coverage of Rush 2 for the <laughs> Nintendo 64. <laughs> yes, that was awesome. We got a few things to do, and I'll let you pick which one we want to do next. We're going to start talking about our, our big giveaway tonight, which is amazing. Oh, cool. We have a very cool product to give away. We can talk about our memorabilia mystery for the week and probably for the last time. Somebody gave me a piece of gaming memorabilia that will uh, make you scratch your head, and I'll tell you about the mystery I solved. Oh, yes. Or we can talk about the GDC State of the Game Industry uh, survey results. So uh, That feels like bait. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> let's let's do the let's talk about the giveaway man that's that's very enticing and you came right out of the gate with it and i am and i and i and i want to get it out there i think that's a good choice and there's a reason i'm doing it this way uh this is intended to be a listener giveaway this is not something that i want to use on twitter to like gain a a bunch of followers i you know i do want to always help get the word out about the podcast but we have a pretty dedicated community of people who listen to this show. I want to try to make sure one of them get this book. This is the book Online Game Pioneers at Work by Morgan Ramsey, who is a best-selling author in the game dev category. Here's a look at that. Uh, if you don't know about this, then you haven't been listening to me because I recommend this guy's writing all the time. He started with Gamers at Work, which was a series of interviews with studio founders like Trip Hawkins from EA and... Um, Bill Seeley, who worked with Sid Meier. There were just a bunch of guys who, guys and girls as well, of course, who started these incredible studios. We think back about like the golden age of uh, computers and the early consoles and everything. This book is Online Game Pioneers at Work, which is a follow-up book. Let's look at some of the uh, founders. We've got John Romero of id Software. That's a big deal, of course. Uh, Neil Young of NG Moco, Ian Bogost, who has written a few books of his own, David Perry, Doug Watley. It's, it's just a bunch of guys who've done really well. Ray Muzaika of BioWare. That's a big deal. Raf Coster, who is a legendary designer. So this is just full of really good stuff. This is a valuable book. This is not cheap. So what I think I want to do is if you're a listener to the show, you would like a copy of Online Game Pioneers at Work signed by the author, which... I will not reveal the message, but it's a, a very nice uh, signed message from Morgan Ramsey. Tell us, we'll do the normal show promotion that we do every week. We'll tweet the, uh, the show link. Comment on that tweet. Tell me, tell us, which one of these founders, and you can go look the list up, or you can uh, listen back to what I just said. Tell us which one of these founders you're most excited about reading about. 
Retweet the show link, and those are my only two requirements. We will pick someone at random who did that, and I will get in touch with you, let you know that you won, and we'll get you this uh, signed book by Morgan Ramsey. Fair enough? All excellent. That is fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I got to check that out, man. You got to just drop a bunch of cool names on that. So they, they all had involvement in that? What uh, what Morgan Ramsey has done for himself, one of the things he's most noted for is he finds founders of game studios and he interviews them like in depth. He finds out their origin story, how they decided to work in the game industry, how they got started. In a lot of cases, especially in gamers at work, it sort of talks about the eventual demise of, of different studios. Uh, it is fantastic. So let me go through the list real quick. There's David Perry of Gaikai. I don't know how to pronounce that studio. Doug Watley of Breakaway Games, Victor Kisliai of Wargaming, Gaute Godiger of Funcom, Jason Kapalka of PopCap Games, which I know about. Like I said, Ray Mosaica of BioWare, Raf Koster of Metaplace, Ricardo Zaccone of King, which um, very famous studio, Emily Greer of Congregate. That's a good one. I read that one. Uh, Ian Bogost of Persuasive Games. Richard Garriott of Oregon Origin Systems, one of the uh, only people in the book, I'm sure, who have been into space. Wow. Richard Garriott. I've had the pleasure of tweeting back and forth with him just a little bit. He's a fascinating guy. Um, Ilka huh. Pananen of Supercell. Supercell, obviously, very huge for uh, Clash Royale, all that stuff. John Romero yeah. of Ed Software. Greg Zeshuk of BioWare, Rainier, we're almost through the list. <laughs> Rainier <laughs> Hatterson of CCP Games, who does um, EVE Online. Yeah. And Neil Young of NG Moco. That, that's why this book is so big. It's a big old book. That is incredible. It is full of good stuff. So you, if you don't happen to win this giveaway, you still need to check out the writing of Morgan Ramsey because it's, if you're a game creator, it's just, it's, these are basically the old and new Testament right here. That's incredible. That's, that's really cool, man. Yeah. So I am both happy and jealous for the winner. So like, this is <laughs> a cool thing to have. Yeah. It, it also, I'm going to tell you, we're going to spot you some bookmarks, but not all of the bookmarks that we were sent. You'll win a couple of bookmarks. <laughs> so there you go. Go get them. Like I said, uh, tweet on the show, show tweet, and let us know which one of those people you're most interested in reading about. The rest of them will not take it personally. And then retweet the show tweet, and uh, you will have a chance to win. Nice. Very clear directions. Very easy. Good luck. Good luck. So with that, you want to hear about the uh, gaming memorabilia mystery I had to solve? I, I am still worried about talking about GDC, and I don't know if I want to end on it. <laughs> That's a good. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> let's let's I, end on a high note. Yeah, let's, I think I want to end on something a little fun because I have a feeling I am not going to like the state of the gaming industry survey results. This is not all smiles and sunshine. This gets a little dark. Let me pull it up. So what you're looking at here, if you're John and no one else, is the state of the game industry 2019 survey results. When I heard about this, I went. What are they doing? Are they really trying to interview everybody they can? And I looked back in my email, and yes, they are, because they asked me to fill this out <laughs> before the end of the year, and I uh, I declined to. I forgot about it. <laughs> and gotcha. 
But basically, out of all the respondents they could get, and that was under 4,000, but that's uh, an okay number, they have uh, put together some uh, results to questions that I guess they just basically came up with themselves. There are a few themes which you will see. Some of it's interesting, and some of it is a brochure for socialism, which we will talk about in a (laughs) moment. It's sort of, well, let's just dive right in. So a lot of this is sort of a narrative that they try to tie things together with. They say nearly half of game makers work over 40 hours a week on games. Take a moment to process that. Nearly half of game makers work over 40 hours a week on games. Now what I took away from this, and I I try to do this with any statistic I hear, I try to sort of flip it around and see what it sounds like then. If you do that with this, you've you've basically got less than half of game makers are working more than a full-time week. Now if you... If you go by articles you read and things you hear about, it sounds like the game industry is just a giant sweat mill, you know, where everybody's just forced to work day in and day out. And no one ever yeah. sleeps. And yeah, a lot of the industry is independent and it's very small teams who have to work like crazy either way. I was actually surprised to hear that less than half of the industry is working more than 40 hours a week. Yeah. For real, with the narrative that I've seen pushed in other outlets. Right. The question becomes, like, what is half of the industry so upset about? So, But let's go on. This continues to get interesting. We have the data on the next page. The question here is, what were the reasons you believe caused you to work those maximum number of hours per week? And it has a breakdown that says, I don't consider the amount I worked excessive. That was 28%. Management pressure. That was only 10%. That was only, wow. Of the people working a an excessive number of hours, only 10% felt that they had some kind of mandate or some kind of expectation from management. The rest is basically self-guided. Uh, there's a peer pressure factor. That was only another 10%. Self-pressure, 33%. I don't know, I just did, was 12%. That's my favorite shit I have ever seen on a survey. I don't know. I just did. And it was 12% higher than management pressure was the guy that was like, I don't know. I just I did. <laughs> I did it. And here I am. Oh, my! that just screams. That just screams like uh, I, I, I'm, I'm reading too much into it. But this is just my initial gut reaction. I don't mean right. I don't mean it to be brutal towards anybody. But that's just like, well, I didn't have anything else going on. So uh, why not? <laughs> I feel like the people sort of. Uh, curating this and writing the the uh, report and everything are, are going one direction with it i'm kind of going another i understand that some of this is just the answers are probably just kind of all over the place but those are surprising figures management pressure 10 percent. i don't know 12 percent. that's really something there is of course some interesting stuff about uh, steam versus other stores steam is the storefront to beat on pc but some devs thrive on smaller competitors So they have some uh, numbers about which store do you sell games on. Uh, 47% of respondents said Steam. Uh, Second place was, well, wait, it's not second place. Good old games. I wanted to say good old Galaxy. Their their store thing is called Galaxy. Good old games is 14%. Humble, 17%. Itch, 18%. Here's something interesting. 26% said they have sales through their own website, which is nice. That's pretty good. That's not that's not a that's not a terrible figure. I mean, yeah. That's interesting. That surprises me. 
publisher owned, uh, I assume that means sites or platforms, was only 18%. So publishers may be not moving as many games as, certainly as not as much as Steam, and not even as much as the developers on site. Interesting mm-hmm. stuff, and they break this down in different ways on the page. We all know Steam is going to be the giant monster. Most game makers aren't sure Steam still justifies its 30% cut. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I'm not sure anyone ever thought that Steam was worth 30% of their sale. My goodness, 30%. Yeah, that's drastic. Man, that makes me really wish their interface... Uh, user interface is a little bit better. Yeah, everything should... We were just talking with Michael Hicks about this. Uh, everything for the developer, the player, the publisher, everything should be better for 30%. Absolutely. Everything should be better for 30%. Boy, that sucks. That sucks. So, after all this, and like, there really aren't any big surprises here, we move on to the issue of unionization. This is another one of these funny phrases. Nearly half of the game industry professionals think game industry workers should unionize. Nearly half of the industry think workers should unionize. So again, less than half <laughs> think industry professionals should unionize. And they, they of course, phrase this the way they want it to sound. Then there's a question... Um, Oh, so they, they break down the responses to do you think workers in the industry should unionize? Yes is about 47%. Okay, that's a lot. Maybe, which means there are some kind of doubts, 26%. No, 16%. And don't know, 11%. You know what that tells me? And I, I thought this when I was there last year, listening to the very first sort of rallies about like, we got to do this. Yeah, what do we want? Yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was standing there thinking... These people are all pretty young. These people, most of these people have not worked in any other industry, probably. Uh, I'm not sure they know what they would gain and what they could lose in a union. And that's not yeah. disparaging in any, any way. Unions aren't that common if you're not in certain kinds of work. I really think there's sort of a lack of knowledge and they just think like, they just get this stuff that people are feeding them going, well, if we had unions, we'd have power and we could stop crunch and we could blah, blah, blah. And they go, yeah, union. And I think that probably makes up a lot of that 47%. Yeah. So, so that they can use the union to squash the uh, management, the evil management, forcing them to work hours over what they want, right. which is only 10% of the polled population. <laughs> Right, and it's not that I have such strong feelings about the concept of unions. I just know that this is going to break down into a numbers game where they go, well, okay, publisher XYZ still has to make X amount of money in X number of days to pay X number of people X number of dollars. And you can tell them you're not allowed to have people work more than blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's fine, but that's going to dry up. The budget's going to yeah. dry up. The jobs are going to dry up. It's just, and I'm not saying it's right, but it is reality. Well, it's, it's, here's, okay, I work for a company that the, I'm not in the union, but the, the main driver of our company are union sheet metal workers. What ends up happening to some degree is that the bigger contractors, they, mm-hmm. they throw their weight around more and they have the bigger 
customers, these AAA dev studios that everybody seems to be getting thrown up in arms about, about releasing, you know, games on outdated engines that are buggy and they're doing these cash grabs and everything like that. You're, believe it or not, just seeing history of how unions are used and abused are probably going to follow a very similar fate of having this power, honestly, given more so to these larger companies which is mm-hmm. kind of what you don't want to happen. When you get these unionization things going on, I, I can understand the set, the, the, you know, the feeling that they want to try to have more power and everything for the workers, but it is dangerous game to play because it becomes political. It's going to become extremely political very quickly. And uh, I don't know. I don't really want to see that happen in the gaming so soon, but I'm not in control of it. So It's, it's going to be a pretty rough and tumble place to work or industry to work in if if this does continue. And, of course, this report uh, has room to quote three people who wrote in, like, additional thoughts about this. And so less than half of the people said they should unionize. So, of course, all three of the, the, <laughs> the people they quote were strongly in favor of unionization. So you yes. kind of see what direction they would like this to go. Now, to be fair, one of them was much more uh, realistic and said, Let's let me find this. He said he or she said companies will just do what Walmart does when they vote in, in a union. They close the Walmart slash game studio and open a new one a mile down the road across city limits. You'll see stuff like that. Yeah, no question. You start that like they even made a joke about that in the office. They said if, if you guys start to unionize, we will shut this branch down and you guys will have legal fees to deal with stuff like that. Like. People in other industries understand these sort of dangers inherent yes. in this sort of thing. And I, my thing is, I think people should get a little better educated about both possibilities. I just punch the microphone. Um, if if unions start to take off, it's going to be sketchy. You need to see some pretty gross I, I, manipulation isn't quite the right word, but you, you want to you need to see some pretty gross misuse of your employees in certain situations. And so far out of what has been pulled just from this small pool of people i don't see enough wrongdoing here to justify unionization yet and so if you don't really have to maybe you shouldn't that's a good point in the interest of fairness there are situ as throughout history there are certain situations where unions yes of course were the answer yes yeah there they was were, Absolutely. they were somewhat rare but for the things i've observed in the game industry there have been gross mistreatment issues with certain studios it's not very common anymore you you saw it here in the beginning of the report you've got less than half of the people who responded to this working more than a full-time week you want to talk about how how much indies work to get their stuff done yeah you want to talk about how much the military works you want to talk about how much a doctor works how much a nurse works like let's look at other jobs where results have to be a certain thing and there's no room for anything else and you, you choose it. You go in knowing what it's like. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. Hey, I wish my wife didn't have to work so much at the hospital. Of course. However, especially while she was getting trained. Yeah, uh, that's that's just one of the, by the way, side note, that's one of the most heinous practices. I do not understand that part of the doctors when they have them in residency. I mean, that is just like, it's, it's a nice like, thing. it's medieval. She and I started dating as she was transitioning from med school to residency. And it was a nightmare. She was woefully underpaid. And I don't mean like 
for a doctor, I mean for any employee in any situation. For any human. She was paid in a manner I would describe as abusive. I didn't know she could she could be paid that low. And it uh, is like from what sorry to interrupt you. Go on. No, you're fine. From the outside looking in, it looks like a very hateful and bizarre hazing. It's like that terrifying and terrible to me. Like it's just like, oh, let's see what this sucker will put up with to get to their dream. And it's like, God damn, they just went through all of this school and this mountain of school debt. And then this, you know, to cap it off, it's like, God, some of it. Some of it's kind of a snake eating its own tail because, like, they have to prepare her for what the actual job is actually like because it's going to be like that. Now, so you argue, like, maybe it shouldn't have to, but the way costs are set up and compensation with, like, insurance companies and stuff like this, the way hospitals have to run their budgets and it's, it's all this sort of thing that just ends up requiring them to do it. However, in medical school and in residency, they do it because it works. They do it because they find that people are spending more time with it with less interruptions and they're just getting better results. It's not great. Nobody likes it. Like, I spent many times just livid because of the treatment she was getting. But you look at the military too. Like, they do it the same way because you're going to come in, you're going to run into shit. Certain shit's going to be required of you. So I find that in other industries, many different industries, when the results are absolutely required, there's no room to go. Well, but you've already worked 39 hours this week. You have to stop now. They don't do it. Like, they just go, okay, you're here and you have to do this. Yes. Thank God game industry stuff doesn't have to be that way. But look at other software engineers. We work insane hours. Like, especially when it comes down to, you know, crunch time, release time. Like, sometimes that stuff is just required of you. And it's just, it's a byproduct of... You've got people who work better for long stretches or work better during off hours. Some very natural things tend to lead into this. I'm not saying it's awesome, but I it's definitely not going away. And if it yeah. goes away, if it's forced to go away, products are going to suffer, companies are going to suffer, and those employees who are down to 39 hours or 20 hours or whatever it is you want to land on, those people are going to suffer too. I agree. In I noticed this quote there in the in the corner of the P, that page of the PDF you're showing is kind of loosely touching on this about uh, the executive thing. Yes, when one executive can get a twenty million dollar bonus in exchange for crunching hundreds of people, shipping before the game is ready, then laying off those people, the industry is ripe for self correction. Now, this is sort of another like down with capitalism thing, really. The issue is not one person somewhere is making too much money. It's an issue of how does this get done? What's going to keep the company afloat? You can't force an executive not to earn a certain amount of money. You just can't. That's not how the world works. Yeah. It's just not. And if it was, that executive would go work somewhere else where he was allowed to make more money and you would still have a huge problem. You probably need that guy. You know? Yeah. I mean, in in the case of uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, they were angry at the guys who founded the studio. It's like, well, what what do you want? <laughs> what do you, you want those guys to go away? What's going to happen after that? Yeah. See, I don't know the full story there, but I did I did hear some hear some uh musing over over the crunch there leading up to the release. I I think there probably is some mismanagement in the industry. I don't doubt that. I don't think it's nearly what people suspect. I think that the the nature of software development 
requires a great deal of what people are seeing and don't like. That's it's stuff the rest of us have known for many years. That's a pretty solid point because I was getting ready to say is that like I don't normally have to work too much extra. It does happen in occasion. Now, when you get to a certain point of the year and we have certain projects that are hitting, it it requires more work from everybody to get the job done. And there's seasons for that, you know, like we're not constantly in that mode of, you know, stay here until you got to get it done. But, you know, there's just moments of that. And that's kind of the ebb and flow. It's just kind of how that the work functions, you know. You're going to have moments of when it's like, okay, yeah, the people you love aren't really going to see or talk to you for a couple days stretch here, maybe more. But, you know, you had to meet a deadline. And when the deadline's done, you're back to, you know, your normal schedule, what you do. And I I, I can't imagine that Rockstar is making people work 100 hours a week on a regular basis. But leading up to the launch of a game you've been working on for, what, eight years? Right. I could maybe see that, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you're coming up on the deadline of a almost a decade long investment with a lot of people and a lot of intellectual, you know, energy and intellectual uh, commodities are, are dumped into this. This is a big deal for a company that, you know, it sells a lot of games. I understand it was brutal. I probably don't know what it was like to work there during that time. I couldn't understand the stresses that were going on. I'll give you that. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll give you that. And maybe it would. I might have a different perspective if I did experience it. But from the outside looking in, I mean, yeah, that's the nature of the of the, of that. Sometimes you got to get you got to get something done. Yeah. To be fair, I I wanted to compare to indies who you know of course work uh, crazy hours just naturally on their projects just to get them done. And if you if you count the hours they spend on top of their other jobs, in most cases, it's insane. It turns into 80, 100 hours a week. But in the case of Red Dead Redemption or another major you know, AAA game, we reach a scope for these software projects that you don't reach anywhere else. You know, sometimes in the corporate world, you'll have software projects that go on for several years, but usually not before one big release. It's usually iterative development. And the crunch periods are small and the, the you know, real go time is short. In the case of a Red Dead Redemption 2 or a Call of Duty, well, Call of Duty is sort of annual now. But that does turn into a really tense time that stretches out for a long period of time. So before, I'm sure Red, Red Dead Redemption had a real tense six months or more because now release is right around the corner. This is everything we've worked for. Oh my God, the horses don't run the right direction. Like you've, you've just got all this stuff and there's no choice but to stay the amount of time you have to stay, finish it up, you know, or, or they bring in more people, you lose money, you, you lose your job afterward. <laughs> like there are consequences for going that big and on that scale. Yeah. And yeah. it's not fair because the people who it affects the most, they don't have any say in that choice. They don't get to say, why don't we put out a smaller game? Why don't we make this episodic? There, there's really no no way around it. So. Yeah, I get that. I get that. One person kind of turned it around in their commentary, and I, I can't find that right now, but they sort of turned it around on, well, the game industry is so tough because so many people want into it. It's like, hold hold the fuck on. Oh, don't that's turn- the next page. That, go back to page six. I, I know where that's at. Um that is 
Um, they show me. It's uh, right at the bottom, that bottom paragraph. Right. There is too much supply. Too many people want into the industry. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Added another person. Those who unionize will be shoved out of the way as companies hire those with fewer demands. That's absolutely true, and it's not our fault. Yes. Yep. If people are yep. willing to do it, that's that's <laughs> you want to talk about the market correcting itself. Well, yeah. that's that's probably an example of what that is. So yeah. that goes both ways. So, I mean, that is what it is. Everyone's going to think what they're going to think about this. The vast majority of people do not believe that the game industry will unionize. I am fully in agreement with that. I don't think it's going to happen. I think if it happens in small instances, that's going to kind of get swatted down. I am sympathetic to people who uh, work in the game industry and have bad stories, but sometimes that's just your career. That's how your career goes, and uh, you move on, you go on to better things, and you look back and it's it turns into a cautionary tale. I, I'm sympathetic to people who deal with that for sure. Yeah. The survey goes on to talk about um, where developers hail from in terms of, uh, you know, like European and North American devs are still the majority. Fair enough. Men and women still split the industry roughly 80-20. Sounds about right. Okay. Uh, I'm all for, I'm, I'm for every kind of diversity in the game industry. Like I say all the time, everybody's got a game in them. I want to play them all. And uh, it's as simple as that. Most respondents have been making games for less than a decade. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. A majority of those people have been in less than 10 years. That's that's interesting. Because, you know, the industry has been around for a while. How many years have you been involved in development? I'll let people sort of thumb through some of this by themselves. It's not all that interesting. Here was something I found sort of curious. The game industry tends to skew two directions companies with like more than 500 employees or companies with like one to five people. There's almost no middle ground. Yeah. That is very interesting. Yeah. So that's something I didn't know. I usually am a solo act myself. Um, more than 500. That's, that's huge. That's big. I didn't know companies. I didn't know that many companies were that big. So, yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's a, that is the most fascinating stat you have brought up on this so far. That is very interesting. That I have, man, that's very surprising. It's like top and bottom heavy, and there's like nothing in the middle. The middle's all over the place. So that's interesting to me. And there was one other one I wanted to sort of skip to, which was ah, almost half of game makers think Nintendo's Switch is the most interesting console. Were these half people who work at Nintendo? Like, who thinks that? It's interesting, yes. Is it more interesting than VR? Like, is it more interesting than augmented reality stuff, tabletop games? Like, Switch is not more interesting than almost anything to me. It's cute. <laughs> it's 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 cool. I know somebody with one, but that's really surprising. Half of game makers think Nintendo's Switch is the most interesting console. What is the what is the significance of them putting that in there? Is there do they have some kind of push to bring back mobile gaming on a large scale or something like Game Gear days? Is that where this starts to lead or I I don't know because smartphones, tablets didn't do that well on the the survey like and they they keep going with this. They say nearly one in four devs sees their game perform best on Switch compared to other consoles. 
And they must mean in terms of sales because nothing is as underpowered as the Switch. Interesting. Bro. How it performed this... relative to other – like there's – this is like sponsored by Nintendo or something. <laughs> like, this seems weirdly skewed. Bro, can we talk about this? Which platforms you're interested in developing in right now? Yeah. 360 is still on here and Apple TV? <laughs> Apple TV. <laughs> Wasn't that discontinued years ago? I I never had one. I don't know. I that is a weird list. That, Web browsing games got much more than I thought. That list is huh. interesting and I'm going to jump ahead to show you. There was something about people creating games for what they called next generation consoles. Now they acknowledge in the report that they don't really have any uh, future consoles being discussed that they can like ask people about. So it begs the question, like which ones are you considering next generation? Is that Xbox one and PlayStation four? Do other people know something we don't like? It's, it's sort of hard to follow in certain spots and overall, man, I don't, I don't know about this whole thing. Okay, see that 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 go back one for me there. I, I kind of like what I'm seeing here. Oh, business models, yes. So wait a minute, free to download. I wonder if that they're essentially saying free to play. It, that must be free to play because then there's pay to download, which is standard. Ad supported, yes. paid DLC, free DLC. Well, that's not if really a business means, model. <laughs> if that means free to play, that free to download, I like what I see there. That how close that. You know, pay to to play the game versus free to play. I, you know me, I've I've geeked out on some free to play games like Brawl Hollow and stuff like that in the past on this show. I, I'm in certain ways that that model works. I'm glad to see that uh, if that's what it is, they're free to download. I think that's got to be what that is. If if that's what it is, I'm glad to see that's as popular on that. I'm, you know, forty one percent's not bad. I'm glad to see that kind of a spread because I don't I don't feel like we should be. I don't feel like any developer should be like backed into one corner on their uh, profit model. However, this does not take into account which of them are actually successful. Like which one of these things are performing well. Yeah, yeah. And that's a much harder yeah. study to do. Uh, people are yeah. real down on crowdfunding, which is probably for the best. Yeah. More than a quarter of game makers are working on a game with accessibility features. That's good. Good news. Just common sense. And yeah. that's about it. I, I would tell people uh, who are interested in this, you can you can download this for free, but you have to like fill out a form, which is not a big deal. I, I'm sure if you go to gdconf.com, you can, uh, you can go through this big whatever this is. They do this every year, and I think it's interesting to take a look. Yeah, that's the game development uh, industry, state of the industry. I... Uh... I'm not as mad as I imagine I would be after that, but that was uh, that was interesting and in, and enlightening, kind of a, to dive into to see what the, what they're talking about. Isn't it just curious how they wrote a lot of it, and really not curious, but very obvious? Yeah, how they how they want a certain narrative to be pushed. It's like all of the almost half, and uh, <laughs> you know, here, here's yeah. all the reasons why, and all this stuff. Like I, I don't all, understand. And almost half, less than half. Yeah. And they did this last year. They stood there and had these big spirited rallies about we're going to unionize and this is the future and we're coming up on another year and it's the exact same thing. Not much has taken place. And that's not I'm just saying it's it's such an unnatural direction for the industry to go. I'm not surprised in the least. It's not going to be a natural thing. Yeah. But anyways, man. OK, that was pretty dark. It was pretty sad. 
but I've been curious all day. <laughs> what yeah. is what? Yes. What is this memorabilia, man? I've been curious all day, my man, because you teased me a little bit. And so I backed off and now I'm ready. I feel bad. Yeah. For, for teasing you with this all day. Okay. <laughs> so here's the whole story. My father-in-law wife's dad says he texts me and he goes, I was watching it was something like Pawn Stars, one of these like antiquing sh- uh, shows on whatever channel. And he goes, they had this telescope on there, which sold for like many thousands of dollars. And he goes, I bought something just like this at a flea market over near your house. So I said, okay, that's cool. He goes, it's got this thing stamped into the side. And when I search for what it says, these video games keep coming up. And now I say, okay, interesting. So here's what the item is. I'm holding it here. Let me take the cap off. This is a telescope that looks like it comes from piratey times. Yeah, good look Sea at of that. Thieves. It's, it's like, yeah, Sea of Thieves, exactly. It's high quality. It's very heavy. It's like brass and it's got like a leather cover on the top with real stitching. Like I'll try to hold this in the camera just for your oh, benefit. Yeah. Look at oh, custom yeah. stitching. And you can kind of see the stamp right there. And it's got another one actually nice. stamped into the material. And if I turn it upside down, it says Risen to Dark Waters, I think. And that sounds like a Christian film starring Kirk Cameron. I had I hadn't <laughs> I thought that might get you. <laughs> it does though. I had never heard of this game. So I looked it up and lo and behold, this is a RPG sure enough about piratey times and it came out hey google when did risen 2 come out risen 2 dark waters launches on the 27th of april 2012 in europe 2012 so it launches in 2012 to some acclaim it was um a deep silver game and it was one of these things that was published by two different companies uh, depending on whether you're in north america or europe okay so that becomes important because i start searching for Risen 2 Telescope. And I try to... I I see this thing and I get it in my hands and I think this is some sort of like lavish tie-in with like a special edition, uh, collector's edition, loot box edition uh, version of this game, right? So I look up... Sure enough, they do have a couple of different versions of collector's edition games for Risen 2 and not one of them contains this telescope. So now I'm like, what's going on? And searching for Risen 2 Telescope gives me almost nothing. The one thing I found was there's a forum with a guy who was looking for one of these and not one person on the entire internet was able to offer him one of these. And he's like, I don't know which edition it came with or where it was from. And so I start thinking like, is it possible that this was some like very expensive item that they just gave away a couple of at like E3 or, you know, some sort of trade show. But I'm thinking like usually they go the other direction and they give everyone a blow up sword and ask them to hit the head of the person in front of them when they see something they're excited about. They actually did that with Assassin's <laughs> Creed. <laughs> but, uh, That's incredible. I so, love that. Right. So I think like or maybe there was a drawing at an event like a press or, or maybe they sent these to journalists or something. So I'm just going nuts because I can't find anything about this thing. So I start looking into the actual publisher of this game. So in North America, it's one company in Europe. It is 
a company called Cinega, which I had never heard of before. No. Even that didn't help me out until I found out that, I think what it was, was I found out there was something to do with this game in Poland. And when I looked at these forums, there was one guy who was from Poland and he told somebody else that he had one of these things. So I noticed he used a different word for the telescope, which I assumed meant, uh, you know, telescope or scope of some kind. I end up translating many, many web pages from Polish by the time this is all done. But when I finally searched for Synega and like the Polish word for telescope, which there are a couple that they use, I see a picture of this thing on a website and I go, holy shit, there it is. Because by this time I've been looking for days. Wow. <laughs> what, this, what this turned out to be, the Polish publisher of this game who released it in Europe had like 15 of these things made total. Wow. They were never for sale to anyone. And they were given away in like a series of contests that required like crazy things out of players. One of them was like they had to write and sing a pirate shanty or something. And they, <laughs> they picked winners through the website. Like everyone who got one of these things did something nuts. That's crazy. It was these super interesting contests. And at some point... So then I figure out, like, okay, clearly this thing belonged to someone in Poland or Europe, at least. Yeah. But somehow it got, it made its way overseas to the Midwest and to a flea market about 20 or 30 minutes from my house. That's so weird, dude. So I, I text him and I said, tell me exactly where you got this thing. And he gave me the name of the city and, uh, what is it, uh, Wentzville. It came from oh, Wentzville, yeah. Missouri. Do you know yeah. any of the things they do in Wentzville? What is Wentzville known for? I don't know what it's known for, but uh, two people I speak to, one on a regular basis and one on a semi-regular basis, are from there. Okay. So a couple of things Wentzville is known for. They've got giant campgrounds, which are really cool. You like go park in these fields, and they have events like in the woods and stuff. A couple of them are, one is the Ren Fair. That's where the oh, Ren Fair is held. Yes. And then they have another totally separate one for pirate stuff. So I figured out, I didn't figure out. My theory yes. is that someone had elaborate pirate garb for probably both Ren Fair and this pirate festival thing. They found this thing on eBay at some point and they ordered it for their costume. And when they were done playing with it, they sold it to somebody at a flea market. I, I bet that's 100% what that is, buddy. That's all I can figure out, and it was so hard to figure out. <laughs> That's wild, man. So that is the case of the Risen 2 Dark Waters Pirate Captain's Telescope. This is supposed to be modeled after uh, the the little fold-out telescope that the captain would use to actually look for other ships that were about to maybe attack. That's something you keep. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a wooden box where like I have something no one else I know will ever see personally in their lives. No, that's kind of neat, man. I would keep that and at least put it on the desk. Right. It's going to have a special place on my desk. He bought it for, he said, $10, and he was super disappointed that it didn't turn out to be a real pirate telescope, which I understand because this thing is such high quality. <laughs> I, I get it. I, I get why somebody would, would think that way. So that is the story, and uh, I've been dying to talk to somebody about this because this, most of this happened in December. So that is that is incredible. What what an incredible thing. By the way, in Winsville, uh there's a place called Rookies that their hot wings are just 
Yum. The perfect blend of of times past and modern wing technology. Yes. Yes. Wow, that is such a cool thing, man. What a neat little thing to have. What a what a neat little treasure. And I would say keep that not so much as the, because it would be worth anything naturally, but because of just the what the heck about it. You know what I mean? I would keep that. If that if that fell into my lap, I would keep that because it's just like what the heck? This is at this point worth a good amount of money, but the rarity of it, I will never get rid of this. Like somebody will I want to be buried with this thing. First of all, because it's such a nice gift. Like he he saw it and he he found out what it was and he thought about me. And I'm sure in the first place he bought it so he could play with my son with it and go, oh cool, look at this telescope and you guys can play together. And uh, it's just such, like such a super sweet kind uh, thing. And then when I found out about it, we had a, a fun time texting back and forth and sending pictures and stuff and like sort of solving our little mystery and stuff. It was a nice bonding thing, you know. Good. So this is very important to me, but. I was super excited to show it off a little bit. I might do a little write-up about all the things I just said for the site so people can get a good look at it. Because I think that's worth I think that's worth your you know, everybody's time. This is pretty cool. Yeah, people look high and low for these things and who knows who the other ones even went to. So Wow, it's like Pokeballs or not Pokeballs, Dragon Balls. Like Dragon Balls, exactly. <laughs> They're like Dragon Balls. I think you were exactly right. I think that was the perfect note to end the show on. Great. I love I love that man. This was a this was a good fun uh, format, and yeah, that was such a cool story. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, super exciting. So uh, I'll throw some pictures up with the show. Uh, don't forget about our giveaway. Let us know who you're interested in reading about, and retweet that show tweet, and uh, you will have a chance to win. And if it doesn't go to a listener, I have failed as a father <laughs> and as a podcaster. So thank you, John. And uh, let's do this again uh, sooner than we than we waited this time. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, as always, to our friend John Scheiber. Always great to have him on the show. Thank you. Thank you to Morgan Ramsey for a copy of his latest book. If you want a signed copy, you guys know what to do for a chance to win. If you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play. You can follow at Spotify. Reach out to us on social media. Let us know how we're doing, what topics you'd like to hear more about. We love bringing you the content you want to hear. And uh, follow all the action at CodeWritePlay.com. That's sort of our place to collect all of our activity on the web. So, Until next time, my name's Todd Mitchell. You guys keep up the good work, and we will talk to you soon.